everybody welcome to episode 225 of the rj do america podcast i'm your host in the place to be mr jacob p and sitting right across from me uh swiping on tinder over here is the beautiful brown recluse mr art trail art say hello to the millions and millions what's up fellers uh yeah i'm over here i'm just i'm looking at these uh some track listings on this i'm like i'm trying to remember what the uh intro track was called in this album that we're about to talk about but yes guys go to caveman coffee check out their entire inventory they got the coffee bean they got the hibiscus tea they got everything your mama will ever need from you um when you check it all out if you use promo code america at checkout um you will receive 15 percent off off your total order pricing so so yeah guys it's really it's really early we're recording over here and it's like nine o'clock or something but guys check it all out it's super if you're if you don't want that morning grogginess go to caveman coffee they got the nitro cold brew that shit will wake you up and um if you're drinking energy drinks don't do that drink some nitro cold brew because that's way healthier for you but yeah 15 percent off at checkout using promo code america tag yourself tag tag us tag them um drinking the coffee wearing the shirts wearing the hats we appreciate it they appreciate it and speaking of sponsors guys make sure you check out our other sponsor guys the great and powerful nicole smith bosch has a wonderful apparel line called super apparel go ahead and check her out at superapparel.com i got here right in front of me one of her beautiful mugs she's got mugs she's got socks she's got ties i don't know just go to jesus's instagram he's bought every single thing that she's put out on that website but if you want to be like Jesus and you want to buy everything the great and powerful Nicole Smith Bosch is designing over there, guys, go to superapparel.com, enter promo code Art and Jacob, and Nicole will give you 10% off your entire purchase. But guys, we're not here to talk about nitro cold brews and uh, Jesus Fuentes for a fucking uh, an hour and a half. We're here to talk about the great and classic album iowa by slipknot but before we do let me go ahead and introduce our very very special guest making his second appearance this week on the orange Jacob do america podcast guys put your hands together for the great and powerful copper kelly copper say hello to the millions and millions how are we all hope you're doing all well thanks very much <laughs> for having me back on again 
Yeah, so no problem, man. It, like I was saying before we started recording on the Patreon, man, like you you make me sound like a damn peasant with that beautiful Irish accent that you got going on over there. <laughs> ah, thank you very much. I know you sound good as well. Don't worry about that. It's all We all sound weird in our own heads, so it's hard to relate. No, to I got a very yourself. nasally, like, uh, fucked up Beavis and Butthead voice, though. So. <laughs> 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 uh um, yeah, I, hate I, I think everybody hates the sound of their own voice. Yeah, yeah it's amazing we have our own podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's it's rough. I, I don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, especially if you try. But thank you for the millions. Yeah, uh, especially if you try to record yourself. I record myself singing and stuff, and that's like when you hear yourself talking is one thing. We hear yourself singing and then try to work with it. It's very difficult. You kind of have to get used to it fairly quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I don't even want to hear myself singing. I barely can stand myself singing in the shower. <laughs> like that's that's torturous enough. But guys, you want to go ahead and jump into it? <laughs> Let's do it. Guys, we are talking about Iowa by Slipknot. Um, this is an album. I, I think you had mentioned this, uh, Mr. Copper Kelly. You had yeah. mentioned this to... Uh, I think I don't remember it was a while back it was like months back I think yeah and you were like I'm thinking about these two albums and then I was like fuck that you're thinking about one album (laughs) and it's Iowa like that album to me it just like tickled my fancy where it's like yeah like that the the significance of it to me was just like yeah that's that's right up my alley I guess and it's very topical right now too because as of yesterday August 28th, uh, it's the 20th anniversary. We're recording on August 29th, but, you know, sorry, you guys, we don't record on Saturday. I got shit to do. Uh, But it's uh, 20 years and one day that we are recording uh, the release of this album. It came out August 28th, 2001. Um, And, of course, we we lost poor poor Joey Joey Jordison there just, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Yeah, something really super soon. Yeah. Yeah, like... That was that was brutal because I think when you talk about musicians of the last like twenty years, like I got to put Joey Jordison like at the t- one of the top tiers, probably the best drummer yeah. of the last twenty years. Like I can't think of another person like I'd put above him. Like I'm I'm sure like some drum nerd out there is gonna be like, no, actually, so and so from um, Animal Carcass Bloodstain. He's yeah. actually he's got better uh, uh, heel toe action going. On. I'm just like nah, but like when it comes to total feel and technicality, I think yeah. I think when, when comes um, to drumming. Aaron Nart was on your episode talking about Justice for All. He mentioned how mm-hmm. Lars Ulrich would have been a huge influence on the next generation of drummers and would have mm-hmm. made them like super drummers. You know, listening to yeah. Lars Ulrich playing so tight on a record, um, where it would be edited to in a, in a way it wouldn't be 100% live, it'd be very tight, very quantized and so on. But that would make the next generation of musicians want to play that tightness live. Mm-hmm. So it makes them almost like super drummers. And yeah, then he has like Captain America almost yeah. <laughs> on the drums. And then he had you know, well, the funny thing is Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, no, sorry. I, I was gonna say like um Joey Jordison and like because they recorded with Ross Robinson, there was almost none of that. Like it was like, let's do this live. Like if you listen we're about to talk about Iowa and there's that I think it's on um I want to say it's on people equal shit where like the there's like a little drum breakdown where it just drops into like the like yeah. he's playing it himself and he's like slightly off like tempo after a while to the point where it's like oh that that must be a bad drummer like that that this guy must not be like super technical and the reality is like like just knowing and having Ross Robinson on the podcast now like knowing that Ross Robinson would have probably encouraged something like that where it's like don't worry about like being on time and like being like super technical and like 
perfect. Like, this is metal. Like, this is, like, be as animalistic as you can be right now because, like, mm-hmm. it's not supposed to be clean. It's not supposed to be pretty. If you want clean and pretty, go, like, record a fucking, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what kind of music. Like, it's, you know, go drum for Kanye West or something. Like, you know, like, w- whatever it is. Like, th- this is not that. This is supposed, like, you guys are wearing fucking demon masks on like it's supposed to be that level mm-hmm. of like intensity tribal almost yeah and i I do think that uh that danny carries a better drummer but that's neither here nor there i mean yeah <laughs> yeah no like i i yeah but i mean like but we, but but it's like yeah metal I, wise, I get it yeah like yeah if you want to just talk about like pure metal yes this guy's up there with those guys yeah oh yeah i think overall as a drummer like i, I think that guy is like better but that's like a personal thing. Speaking of like, you know, uh, you know, metal and, you know, that next generation, um, listening to this album, like I'm very much a guitar player. So like whenever I listen to a metal album, I'm always like listening to the guitars. But this is very much like a drum heavy album. I mean, yeah, for fuck's sake, they got three percussionists on this album. But like when you listen to it as a guitar player, it's just like, oh, okay, whatever. But when you listen to like the rhythms of this album, it's like, holy shit. Like this is like right up there with like anything like your big guitar heroes would like put out like on the drums. Like this is such a fucking drum orgasmic experience. Yeah. Like when you listen to it, like everything that you would want like out of the drums, it, like it's got it there for you to end. I think it's such a shame that we had lost Joey Jordison. I agree. I mean, I I think Slipknot since day one has been. I mean, any, yeah, I agree. Anytime you have three percussion, two percussionists, one drummer, and it's like full on in your face, you know, opening track of of what I consider their first album. I know that they had an EP before that, but um, but the self titled album, and it's you hear the song "Sick" right off the bat, where it's like. It's like right at it, like it's a fucking flood of like drumming and guitar work. That's like, it was not holding anything back, and like that's who Slipknot was. Like it was not holding back. Um, very. I I, I do think that like now, and one of the things I I do want to talk about is mixed guitar playing. Not so much Jim Root's guitar playing, but like mixed guitar playing. I think is one of the most underrated elements of Slipknot, where like you hear that in so much of like the, like what's going on right now in like uh, the metal world right now is like that, like I hear riffs and I'm like, that's a very slipknotty riff. Like, because it's like this mixture of like, of hardcore thrash or like maybe even like elements of black metal mixed in with like something you would hear in a new metal element where it's like, mm. and that's totally like who Mick was like Mick took those super intense things that you were not hearing in, in like the, in like the, the radio world and putting it into like something that maybe like corn would have done or something mm-hmm. like that. And I was like, it's genius. Like it, it is genius. Like when you think about like the time frame in which it came out, 2001, like I think this was before guitar hero came out. So like oh, yeah, everything definitely. was like, like post, like, you know, that whole, you know, Eddie Van Halen, you know, Dimebag Daryl era, like, you know, guitar solos had gone to the wayside. Like it was all about the groove at this point. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about like the guitar playing of, you know, Slipknot, 
it's very much like, yeah, they have influences like from thrash. Like you'll hear like, you know, riffs that are like, okay, James Hetfield or, or uh, Dave Mustaine could have wrote this portion of the song, but then it goes into something that, you know, head or monkey, like some of the, the weird sounds and textures that you would get, you get that from like the new metal thing, but they didn't just live like in that world. They also went to like, you know, the black metal and death metal, like Swedish world as well. And they kind of put it all together in this like gumbo pot and like made like this, well, it should sound like horrible, but comes out like this beautiful, beautiful, like intense music. Yeah, it's like you had the blast beats as well from death metal. And they say mm-hmm. that Joey Jarson was probably the guy who made the blast beat more mainstream, brought mm-hmm. blast beat to the Definitely mainstream. made the uh, double bass drum mainstream. Like, and the kick, yeah. Be- yeah, yeah before kick. him, it's like nobody was doing that on like a mainstream song, like not consistently, not in like there's like hardcore elements, like. Hardcore was like not even, don't even touch that. Like maybe some elements of like thrash metal were making it on like mainstream radio, but like hardcore elements were definitely not. Like black metal Mm. elements, definitely not. Like they were, you know, you know, at the time period. And I I think this is a good time to go back to like, you know, how we were all introduced to this. But at the time period, they were a pretty controversial band amongst like metalheads. Like, were like, were we taking these guys seriously? And we kind of talked about that same scenario with like what's going on in like metal now like where it's like artists like a like a baby metal or a poppy or something like that are like oh man they're so gimmicky and like that's exactly the same exactly. argument that we were hearing from slipknot where it's like oh man these guys are like a kiss rip off like these <laughs> are, guys are ripping off like all these i heard oh, icp man. a lot too yeah i was like oh these guys are like whatever like mushroom head already did this like it's it's just a fucking gimmick you guys yeah. are fucking like <laughs> like get out of here go these are halloween costumes like get out of here <laughs> it yeah. was a lot of that like there is there is a huge like elitism in like metal, metal where like it refuses to let go of the past where it's like mm. dude you gotta embrace like whatever is like if it's good it's good embrace it and slipknot mm. was definitely good like mm. let's start there though so copper um you were saying on the patreon how you kind of came upon this album uh why don't you go ahead and tell the millions uh about how you found this album how you fell in love with this album yeah so i would be in high school probably about 12 and i was just starting to explore my way into the world of music at the time, you know, mm-hmm. getting an actual interest for music. And I had already got like Linkin Park, Hybrid Tears, probably my first album I ever bought. And I started listening to a bit of Metallica. But then I made a friend with a guy in school and he'd tell me about this band called Slipknot. And they're like, the, you know, the heaviest thing you've ever seen, they had these cool masks. And, and it was just, a, you know, the best thing you ever see. Um, yeah. So I asked for the album Iowa for from Santi for Christmas. So <laughs> my, my parents got it for me. And obviously they hadn't listened to it beforehand, right? Or they probably wouldn't have given it to me. But, you know, um, so obviously at the time I, I didn't think Santa was real. So I knew where they were st- storing, stashing the, the the presents for the year. So I went in every, probably every evening, and just opened up the CD and looked, opened up the liner notes and kind of felt the texture of it. It was like a, a porous kind of a cardboardy texture, as I think you said, Art. Um, mm. And it had this kind of smell to it as well, this kind of, not like ripe or not really rotten, but could be rotten. You know, it's just, mm. maybe it was just like my main, you know, mind playing tricks on me with this cool looking artwork and clothes <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it just had this weird smell. I haven't actually smelt off any other liner notes since. And you know, I just read all the lyrics and I probably knew the lyrics before I even heard the songs. Kind of thing, Cause it's just, I read them so many times. Ah, oh, that's awesome. And yeah. So then Christmas day came along 
and I stuck the CD into my Walkman, sat on the couch with my headphones in and just listened to it like five, six times in a row. Whatever that, <laughs> no oh, better Christmas way to celebrate. Me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no better way to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by listening to, <laughs> if you're 555, then I'm 666. Yeah, 666. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Art? How'd you discover this album? Um, Well, I already knew Slipknot was. Uh, I, I think the, the thing that, um, I mean, I, I remember hearing like whispers about Slipknot when I had first heard like Wait and Bleed. Oh, Jacob's bleeding over here. Yeah, speaking of bleeding. How'd you huh? cut yourself? I don't know. That's a weird looking cut. Um, oh, well. I think you're hypoglycemic. <laughs> um, but anyways, um, um, yeah, no, I, I had heard Wait and Bleed before and I had heard them on like different mix. Like, you know, this is the, this is the era of like sharing mix CDs and like burning CDs and like, mm-hmm. The so I had heard them throughout that time period, and this this is a time period for me where I was like super sick of like what was happening in in radio rock. Like there was the beginnings of like that butt rock, like post grunge era was starting to happen. Puddle of mud bullshit. The, the, the puddle of muds were starting to happen, and then there was still like the like that frat boy new metal, like the Limp Biscuit era of like I I just remember thinking like this is so shitty. Like I just want to hear like something like brutal like i want to hear something angry again like i want to hear something like what i don't care where it's coming from i want either it's coming from rap or if it's coming from rock or metal whatever like i just want to hear something like intense like i want to hear something real and nothing really felt real to me at the time like nothing was like really cooking for me i had i think hearing that first Lipknot album i was like oh shit like this is really good but it, it didn't I, at the same time i was kind of a little bit like hesitant to like adopt the, that first Slipknot album as like as like a, a thing the but that second album I remember thinking like dude this is like fucking intense like this is this this is really real this is not meant for and I always kind of had this like anger for like what was happening at, at that time period with the the bands that were popular um, but I remember thinking like I think I told you like there was like like I had this math class and had all these football players they all had that What's that Limp Bizkit album? Not oh, chocolate, chocolate starfish. starfish. They all had that chocolate starfish album, and they were like, "Oh, this is sick!" And like, it was like that. All felt like very frat boy, like bullshit kind of things. Where I'm like, "That sucks!" Like, this is terrible music. Like, I I want something that's like ugly and like feels like this is not for you. Like, this is not meant for you. This is meant for like you're just not invited to this club kind of thing. And yeah. and maybe that's a little bit elitish to to believe that, but I. But that as soon as I heard it and I saw it and I was like, this is like perfect. Like this is like aggressive and violent and I fell in love with it right off the bat. That's cool. Well, I guess for me, um, I agree with you totally. Like when the first Slipknot album came out, I was very hesitant to get into it because it did seem like a gimmick. It, It seemed like something that like was an offshoot of like ICP, which was kind of like a joke at that time like they were wrestling in wwe at that time like they were you know and they were wrestling with a bunch of like uh it was a comedy act at that point it wasn't so much it was like a whatever thing it was very much like it was like mall music like when you walked into hot topic like it was very much like okay this Mm -hmm. is corporate you know gimmicky bullshit and like slipknot kind of had like that same vibe like on their first album to me and to and i remember i had like a couple of friends who were really into slipknot and then there was always this w- one kid that was like super obsessed with Slipknot. Like he would make like paper mache uh, 
masks that he would wear to school. And uh-huh. like, I mean, he would always get them taken away or whatever, but like he had like a Corey Taylor, like, you know, the original, like, you know, one with Dreads. the dreadlocks or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like he would come to high school, like uh freshman year, like every day with one of those off. And I was like, dude, there's something off about this kid. And, you know, later on, like it turns out like he became like a murderer and shit. And I was just like, ah, I just, I can't be associated with anything that this kid is like in. Like he would like sit in class and draw like pictures of like Jesus getting raped by like marcellus wallace or whatever and it was just like if he's into this shit like i don't know if i can be into this and then i remember my best friend in my math class he got super into slipknot and like we always kind of like had like this like friendly rivalry where it's like whatever he was into like i was not into and like what i was into he wasn't into either and so like he was super into slipknot and i was just like ah okay yeah it's gonna be one of those like chris bands that he's like like mushroom head for example you guys brought up mushroom head he was a huge mushroom head uh fan and i was like dude this is some bullshit like and he hated corn for whatever reason i was like how are you gonna hate corn dude like they're from our town yeah. like they're they're the front runners <laughs> yeah. of like what's going what's cool in music right now and whatever and slipknot like the few songs i had heard off of their self-titled album kind of felt like a a corn ripoff band and i was just like ah no i can't i can't fuck with this and this was also the same time like i was starting to like get into guitar like you know get into like you know people like stevie ray vaughn so i very much had like even to the nth degree an even bigger elitist bullshit fucking attitude where it's like okay uh ingve malmsteen is playing this fast so anybody that cannot match him like i can't be associated with like i was like i was that asshole like in high school so i was like very much like fuck slipknot fuck all this shit like if you ain't if you ain't on their level the level that i'm at like i can't fuck with it or whatever right and i remember chris he had bought iowa he'd got it like the first day it came out he didn't buy it. He stole it from Sam Goody's. <laughs> and I remember we went to his house and he was listening to it and I was doing something else or whatever, right? And he came back. And mind you, this was like a huge Slipknot fan. And he came back after listening to it and he was like, dude, this album kind of sucks. And that was all I needed to put it on the back burner for a couple of years. So it came out in 2001. I don't think I actually sat down and listened to a single song off of this album. Even the song that was on the Resident Evil soundtrack. I didn't even fucking acknowledge or whatever till maybe like three or four years later, like when, um, you know, I would have like those lonely Saturday, Friday nights or whatever. And I'm just downloading music on fucking Napster and LimeWire or whatever. Yeah. And I just remember sitting there and thinking like, you fucking idiot. This is a fucking classic album. And you could have these last three or four years, you could have been enjoying this shit. You could have went to see this shit live, but your ass was so busy trying to find like this fucking technical fucking you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan, fucking Joe Satriani music, when you could have just been jamming out to this shit the whole time. Yeah, I think when um, when Volume 3 came out, I, so all three of the albums came out when I was in high school. Like, I think, actually, I think um, the first one came out when I was, like, still in junior high, but I was about to enter high school. Mm. But um, that uh, Volume 3 came out, I think it was my senior year that Volume 3 came out. And, like, that's when, like, Slipknot fever in high school was like, oh my god, like this is so fucking like genius. And I, I, I love volume three. Volume three to me is too. volume yeah, three to me that. is the point where I was like, okay, like I'm full on like into this band now and like I full on like appreciate metal. Like it it really opened the floodgates to me for like for metal. Volume three did. Even more so than this album. Because this this album I was still kind of teetering. Again, it's not an album I ever bought. It was just kind of like it, it 
it wasn't until like I bought the Resident Evil soundtrack and, and My Plague is on that soundtrack. Yeah. But it's like yeah. it's the Terry Date version of My Plague. It's not the Ross Robinson version of My Plague. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like uh, and so, more clean vocals on it and stuff, isn't it? Yeah. So kind of, and yeah. and that's, what, that's one of the things. I, I, I love Terry Date. Yeah. yeah. I, I think Terry mm-hmm. Date's fantastic, but um, he's not. I'm glad he didn't work with Slipknot that often. Um, because I think that Ross Robinson really needed to capture that like animalistic side of them. Um, I wish Terry Date would have worked on Volume Three though; that would have been a better album. But um, I still think it's a good album. But um, but yeah, that was one of those things that like really like like broke the camel's back, and I was all into it. Like I was like, I like pretty like extreme metal. Like I just I don't like that like bullshitty metal, but I like it. I like metal when it's like it feels violent, and it feels crazy, done right. Mm. yeah done right yes but uh, but even when it's done wrong as long as it's like <laughs> as long as it's like fucking intense and doesn't feel like what's happening like as long as this doesn't feel like it's some frat boy like thing that's gonna like like again i i always like when we had uh michael crane on here and i talked about how it's that element of danger to music where it's just like it should feel like it should almost take you to the point of like that gg allen level where it's like you might not even want to be here right now mm-hmm. like this might not be safe for you for you kind of thing like I, I always think that that's where like music should teeter in that element of like it's it's good it's safe and enjoy it but the live performance should almost be right there where it's like yeah something might hit you in the face or whatever somebody might you might get hurt kind of thing like it, it should yeah. always be there for me and like Slipknot was that thing that was just like, dude, these guys are fucking intense live. Like that shit is. Have you guys seen Slipknot live? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually saw them in 2004. Ooh. Um, they played for Metallica. They support Metallica. And it was, oh, what a show! It was their first gig in Ireland ever, because nice. the Catholic Church had banned them because of the lyrics and the you know the imagery and all this stuff. So they're actually banned for years in Ireland. And it was at the very first gig. And it was uh, just after Volume 3. So yeah. they were playing Pulse of the Maggots. And oh, it, was, it was it was fairly class, I tell you. I loved it. And I was nice. like a lifelong fan after that then. Dude, that's a fucking show right there. Because you get the intensity of fucking what it is. to, And we'll get into it like when we start talking about the songs. You said right from Volume 3. So everything from Volume 3 down. Like that is just like a fucking... Yeah. I love Metallica. That's my favorite band. Like the the best live show that you will see, just sitting there on the rail or whatever. But that music from Volume Three to Iowa and self titled down, like that is music to fucking like go crazy at. Like that, yeah. and then uh, you get to rest and watch Metallica. Like, I, damn, that's a fucking. I'm jealous that you got to see that show. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you, I I regretfully have, have not seen them live. No, I've seen tapes, but I haven't seen them live live. Yeah, yeah. I've, I saw them at, at their festival, the Not Fest, and and like you know, one of the things that popped up to me, you you said that you opened up the the album and it smelled a certain way, yeah. And um, I remember when when you go to Not Fest. Well, actually, Not Fest in general was like an experience because I don't think I'd ever been to a a festival where like you you parked here and then you had to like walk from it would be like parking here at Jacob's house and then going to Bakersfield College to like see the show cuz okay. it's that long of a walk to the thing mm. in the middle of that walk there's like all these like protesters all these religious groups saying like you're going to go to hell if you <laughs> go to don't go sit here and pray with us and i remember thinking like this is crazy like this is i've never seen this amount of people like i've seen a few where it's like oh don't go see fucking 
nine schnauz or whatever. And it's like, oh, I, like that one weirdo guy. But this is like lines of like people holding crosses and like, don't do this kind of thing. And I was like, that's nuts. Um, but I remember one of the things that like really stood out to me was uh clown from Slipknot talked about how the festival needed to be a certain way. Like it needed to look a certain way and needed to smell a certain way to the mm-hmm. point where they had like rotting animal parts, like put under the trash can so it could smell bad. Anytime that you were near those things, like he wanted it to smell bad. And like, they had all these like, um, performers walking around like half naked with goat heads on. And like, <laughs> it was, to me, it was like, this is, this is definitely Slipknot's festival. Like no one else is doing this shit. Like I've seen, I've been to family values tour where it's like corn's festival and it's very like, it almost, yeah, it almost doesn't feel like, you know, anything different than like the Rockstar Energy Tour or whatever. Like it's the same thing. Like that's always same the same thing. thing. Or like even when we saw Metallica at Rose Bowl, it was just like this is just a show. This did not feel like just a show. Like this felt like everything was planned, everything like w- they did this whole thing where like they had the main stage open since the beginning, but then when they opened up the the like the where all the pits were, like they let everybody in at the same time and it was like literally clouds of dust because it was just like the moshing was so intense and they put it like right where all the dust was gonna be and i was like dude this is fucking like insanity like i just gave me a sinus infection thinking about that (laughs) yeah it was like so many they they had so many like little things that were just like dude you guys thought about like the smallest little thing to do all these things with all these like giant like demon looking people like just walking around and i'd be like taking dumb pictures in front of them (laughs) like (laughs) we're going to hell yeah i was like i I remember i was there and i was like i bet those two are like a happily married couple like because one of them was like a guy demon and one of them was a girl demon (laughs) and i was like they're probably the most normal like tax paying like whatever picket white fence people probably the friendliest people you could talk to (laughs) yeah Yeah. they own a yorkshire terrier or whatever But, yeah, that was my Slipknot show experience. It was fun. But, like, things like that only come from people that live, like, in places like Iowa. Um, Des Moines, Iowa, which is, like, the big city. I looked it up. It's only 200,000 people. So, Bakersfield, like, that is considered, like, a smaller town. And we're 400,000 people. So to, And, like, we talk about, like, the desolation and, the, like isolation from like the rest of society but like in reality like we're two hours away from like everything but you go to a place like iowa where you're like two plane trips away from like any fucking other fucking culture so you're very much like in this isolation of despair and like uh, constant you know uh, economic you know peril like just it's just it's just a like a fish tank you know just like you're swimming in your own shit like to quote Corey taylor it's like that those atmospheres like where you get corn from at Bakersfield where you get a slipknot from Iowa you get you know people like this where it's just like we didn't have we didn't have all the glitz and glamour of like a Sunset Boulevard or like a New York's Times Square or whatnot so that's why you get brutal music like this you're t- you're dealing with like nine individuals that like had to live like in this shit so when you look at an album like Iowa it's very on the surface, like if you're not a metal fan, like, you know, shout out to Jordan out there who's a fucking country music fan or whatever. But when you listen to like a album like Iowa, it's very intense. But you gotta understand where all nine of these individuals were coming from, like going into this album. Their first album comes out and they're basically kids and they pretty much blow up out of nowhere with no support really from yeah. radio, no support from M T V really, unless you're counting like, you know, the one o'clock a.m. You know, that's the first time ball. I ever saw their video was like at like five a.m. 
on yeah. Return of the Rock. Return of the Rock was the, a show that we used to, for some reason, I don't know if it was an East Coast, West Coast thing, but for us, it would air at 5 in the morning, and they played um, Wait and Bleed, the animated version of it, where they're like little claymation figures. Oh, yeah. yeah. They played that, and I was just like, Riffy. damn, what is, it was like, it, I thought it was like Tool at first. I was like, that was weird, and but cool at the same time. Like I, I really liked the that Wait and Bleed video, but yeah, they weren't getting much support. But they were blowing up because, like I said, like in high school, like slowly but surely, like everybody like that was a Corn fan the year before was turning into Slipknot fans. You know, they were writing, you know, that Slipknot S like on the cover of their binders or whatever. So these nine individual kids that didn't have much to begin with start to experience like things like you know the party scene of la start to get better drugs than they were getting like in iowa start to you know you know have a quiet clown was talking about like you know how he got you know more into alcohol i mean for fuck's sakes he did a whole podcast about his whiskey brand that he had and um uh you know like so they're very much like in the midst of like addiction and you know the party rock star lifestyle women were everywhere so like very much were like a walking no limit records motley crew uh thing you know in between you know they're self-titled in iowa and they talk about like how it was very much a really unstable environment going into the recording of this sophomore album where it's just like this was either going to be the breaking point where this band is like no more or we're going to have to create like the best album of all time and joey jordison and paul gray coincidentally enough the two members that are no longer with us on this earth yeah. you know they were just like well hey we're gonna have to be the glue that holds all of this together because everybody was like sp- spiraling out of control seven other people that you got to rely on to make this machine work are all spiraling out of control like we got to come together and make this thing work so they toured for a fucking year straight and no with no break Joey and Paul just immediately start like the writing process. Kind of like how Aaron was talking about like with James and Lars. They just like continued like with that machine. Just like, okay, we got to be the ones that focus and get this thing off the ground. Well, the funny thing is like Joey Jordison is like going back to the first album. Um, Corey Taylor was like a brand new member to Slipknot. Mm-hmm. Like he, some of those lyrics on that first Slipknot album weren't even really his. They were just kind of taking over as, as a, as a lead man. Uh, uh, Jim Root wasn't really didn't really write anything on the first album. Um, it he was didn't actually record on the first album. It was someone else. He, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, was he only different... came on after the album was recorded. He came on to tour it. Yeah, yeah. So they had some other guy that left after he his parts were recorded. So okay, I'm out. Imagine being that guy over. that's like, you know what, this band's not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm leaving. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I. I, I, you know, that, that, that follow up where, and then, um, um, uh, Joey Jordison, like, was, like, gonna leave the band before the first album was even recorded, where it was like his body was already not holding up very well. We had Ross Robinson come on, and he was just basically saying, like, he had to fly a plane out to go meet him and be like, no, you, you gotta come down here and record with us. Like, you, you can't leave the band. Like, you, you're, you're the drummer. Like, I need you in this one. So he mm. convinced him. To, to be back on already the band is already like at the brink of like breaking up like it's not even probably that first album is like not even gonna happen kind of thing where it's mm-hmm. it's already like that fragile there so to hear this album to take what everything that they did on that first album and instead of like cleaning it up and making it pretty or whatever everything got turned up to 11 and everything was like mm-hmm. let's just go more intense and like more violent like one of the, one of the if, if there's any symbolism in everything that they and what they're doing is like 
all of their masks got turned up to 11 as well. Like, yeah. Clown went from having a regular creepy clown mask to, like, carving a pentagram onto his face. <laughs> and, like, even Corey Taylor's mask became, like, a more, like, like, you know, he had, like, the bigger black eyes and, like, everything was, like, more intense, like, more animalistic. The the dude with the pins in his head, like, the pins got bigger kind of thing. Like, yeah. Massive. Every, yeah. Yeah, it was, like, it was cool to me that everything does like kind of aged with the band kind of thing like Correct. got more violent and that's the thing too where um you have all of those personalities right they're all to me like it's weird that they're all spiraling out of control they're all like experiencing different things you know breakups you know suicidal thoughts addiction um to jump into like the first track uh 515 which is the area code for des moines I always kind of just dismiss that as just like, you know, just like a whatever kind of gimmick, you know, track. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Sid, the DJ, uh, he was talking about the making of this album and he said he was just like, you know, his grandfather uh, was passing away. Like, I guess he was like on hospice, you know, before the recording of this album. And uh, the day that he went to record, you know, his parts for the album, uh, his, you know, grandfather's funeral or something happened like where he couldn't be there, you know, a very important part, you know, his grandfather's uh, passing uh, one of those things and he just told ross he's always like hey just let the track play whatever comes out like this is what's going on the record or whatever right and i always just assumed it was Corey just going like death death just you know for whatever reason right and i was just kind of dismissive like oh this is gimmicky but you hear that like all the emotion that sid was going through with the passing of his grandfather and the only words is being said is death and he's just letting all those emotions just pile out. And you watch like Who Then Now, um, the corn documentary about, you know, recording their first two albums. I can see Ross just like, you know, like, yes, like get that emotion out. Like if all you're saying is death, it's not important what you're saying. It's the emotion behind what you're saying. And it's just like that that um, that sample that he just keeps playing, that weird like, you know, dissonant sound that he keeps playing. That's Sid, you know, just whatever he's doing like on his turntables and just letting all of his emotion out. And I'm like, whoa. That is the textbook definition of artistry. It's not, oh, I fit this many notes on, um, in this scale here or whatever. It's yeah. like, no, this is this is what art is. Yeah. I, I, Ross Robinson called that the realest part of the whole album. Yeah. And I think he called the band and he'd be like, you guys all need to come hear this because this is like. That's some Jonathan Davis first corn album yeah, shit right he's there. He's like, this is, this is the realest mm -hmm. part of the album. And like, we're going to start the album with this kind of thing. Like, yeah. I, I thought that was really, really beautiful because it's like already every band member, including Ross Robinson, who like very much <laughs> embeds himself into what the album goes through. Like the dude was coming into this recording process with a broken back. Mm -hmm. uh, he talked about how he used to go like dune buggy racing. You know, he talked about how he was listening to that $3 bill, the all album while doing that. And like, <laughs> yeah. Um, like that was a very much you know what he did, but he hurt his back right before they started recording this the whole thing, and like took one day off with a broken yeah. back and came in to record this. Yeah. Like so, everybody's coming into this situation like with some kind of baggage. Yeah, he showed up and he was very much in a wheelchair, very much having a, a medical bed installed like down the hall from them so that he can hear all the recording and like just scream at them when they were like not doing it right <laughs> throwing candles and shit at yeah, them and and you know that's one of those things that gets popped up a lot like why was he throwing so much stuff at them well, the dude wasn't walking like mm -hmm. like he wanted to you know uh -huh. throwing broken candles at them throwing plants at them like while joy jorison was drumming like if you have any questions of why his drummer drumming gets a little sloppy in the middle of it it's like he's he's dodging a fucking plant 
He's like dodging a, 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 a what are those called? A, a fiscus or whatever? I was trying to, <laughs> a ficus? Ficus, yeah. yeah. <laughs> dodging a fucking ficus flying at his face. You know, like it's it's very real the way that, that yeah, he Ross wants Robinson. to. Yeah, he wants to like bring the anger out in them. Just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it's not that's not fucking good enough. And just like, yeah, absolutely, just uh, I suppose draw that performance out of them and just lose themselves, get angry with him, and then that mm-hmm. anger would then help the performance. Oh yeah, he's good at doing that. I'd say he would have been hard to work with, but <laughs> he's yeah. definitely he got the results. What I appreciate that too is when you listen to a lot of metal albums, like it, it almost seems like forced. Like forced, like I'm angry because my mom and dad didn't give me an allowance, <laughs> or I'm angry because that girl didn't want to have, didn't want to go to Taco well, Bell with me after work. And it's like, no, these are this this album's angry because it's genuine. Like this, this is genuine emotion coming out. If you look at like what he did with with Limp Bizkit on the Three Dollar Bill Y'all album, and it's like, not that it was like genius and poetic, and he talked about how he almost felt like this is like what an angry teenager would sound like. And he, he's like, but there's something like uniquely beautiful about that, that Fred Dirch's emotions were very like high school guy. And like, and then I still think that that $3 bill y'all album is like his best work, like Limp Bizkit's best work. And then you look at like everything that they've done without him. It's all very much like, Oh, I'm angry. Cause I didn't pay my bills. Cause you didn't pay <laughs> me back. I'm angry. Cause this girl don't want to turn my text messages. It's just like, Shut the fuck up. Like everything about that is just like, dude, this is some frat boy college bullshit. Privilege bullshit. Yeah, yeah. I was like, dude, get this shit out of here. Like, um, but yeah, that is that thing that he draws people and then like every album, I'm always surprised, like when you look at his discography of like amazing albums that he's done and like not just in the new metal world, but like the stuff he's done with At the Drive and Blood Brothers and Glassjaw and like the cure, like everything's just like, God damn, like you, you fucking did all that you did this? Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it rivals almost Rick Rubin in a way. Oh, yeah. Well, Slipknot kind of shit on Rick Rubin because he did their next album. A lot of people shit on Rick Rubin. Mars Volta shit on Rick Rubin where, like, Mars Volta was just, like, not happy with with what they – what they. Mars Volta said about Rick Rubin, he's he's really good at pleasing the common man's ear, but we don't make the common man's music. So Mm -hmm. I think that that's – and he didn't mean that as like a diss or whatever. Like a lot of people like that stuff. Like a lot of people like the pop stuff. And it's like, yeah, it makes sense. Like that's why his music is so appealing to a lot of people. But yeah, I think if you're gonna get the best out of someone, it, it ain't Rick Rubin. It's like yeah, you're just getting the. He was on the um, Chris Jericho podcast, the 600 episode that came out like a few days ago. Oh yeah, Rick that's Rubin right. Was. Yeah, yeah, and he, he basically talks about how he he's not a knob twiddler. He's not an actual like engineer going in and you know, doing the EQ and all this kind of stuff. He's more hands-off, like he listened to it and goes, oh, that sounds good, but maybe you could try this. Or, you know, that's good, but maybe it's not as good as you think it is. Or that's really good there, now use that. He's kind of more that um, first uh, first impression of what he hears kind of gets the feedback. Whereas, yeah, Corey Taylor was kind of shitting on him, saying, oh, he was never there and he was there. He was just sitting in the corner, not really seeming like he was paying <laughs> attention. Uh, he might go, oh, that's good, yeah. And then that's really it. And then Corey Taylor's like, we were paying this guy thousands of dollars and he's doing yeah. nothing for us. So and I think like a band it could have been like the fact Slipknot. that he, he felt that he didn't need to do much for him because that kind of, that's the kind of producer he is. If he if he doesn't think that the band would need the help, he's like, he just sit back and let them work away. But if he probably step in then if he did see something that needed to be improved or whatever. Mm-hmm. So maybe just Corey didn't, wasn't used to that style. 
dass ich was in Thron shit out of me. Das kann ich doch. So maybe that's why. Yeah. I think with, with like Rick Rubin though, it's like more or less like it, it's a chaperone or whatever. He's like, I'm gonna let you do your thing. Kind of reminds me of like like Phil Jackson in a way where like if the game is, you know, getting close, he's just gonna let you play it out. Like you know you have five fouls, you know what you should be doing at this level kind of thing. He's not he's not an entry level uh producer. Whereas like uh Ross Robinson is the other way. You flip that on the side where it's just like, yo, I'm here to guide you on the track to where you are a professional where i think like slipknot at the point where like where they get to volume three like they already know what they're supposed to be doing you know their first album they're kids second album it's just like okay we kind of know what we're doing right now but we still need you know help to get to the next level volume three they're already on that next level and i think that's that's why you got that. i get that but it's like to me i i do think I do think that some producers work well with other with oh, like yeah, certain artists. Yeah. I, I've talked about yeah. how Terry Day is the perfect producer for Deftones music, and I, he just seems to get them. He seems to like be on. If you ever watched the, the relationships that they like they have built, it's almost like this like you know father son relationship with them. It's different. It's it's completely different. Like I think that works well for a band like Deftones. I don't know if I would want to hear a, a Ross. Uh, Ross Robinson produced Deftones album. As much as I love Ross, like I think yeah. Ross is great. They wouldn't um, need it at this point it, in their it, career it, either. It, I don't even know if it. I think the thing is, I don't know if there's ever a point where you stop needing like growth in your life. And I do think that he is like a, a dude that that brings those animalistic things out of them. Like you saw what he did with Corn or whatever, and 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 maybe like you know I, I don't know if you ever ever like stop needing guidance like there's band like you, you bands plateau after a while because they stop having somebody throw plants at them and now people are just bringing them lattes or whatever like, <laughs> yeah. like telling them they're great the whole time y- and they, they, they don't feel y- like they have to try anymore to get lazy yeah i mean yeah, going back happens. to going back to iowa like one of the things that happened was these bands were successful now and the record company wanted a like this is a this is the shit right now like the, the record company gives Jim Root a customized guitar, like this beautiful guitar. And it's like, oh, my God, you're going to get this deal where, like, I, fr- I think it was, like, um, BC Rich is going to create you, like, this your, like, custom whatever. And then, like, uh, that yeah, was and then the, it's... Jim Root was on Fender. I, I can talk to you about the guitars Fender. here now. Oh, okay. So, yeah, Jim Root so, was on the Fender. Yeah, and then uh, Mick Thompson was on the BC Rich. Oh, okay. I actually bought, I bought the Warlock back in the day with the Mick Thompson Warlock back when it was a... Probably 13, 14. That was my guitar uh-huh. of choice for years. But I ended up selling it and it was like, worst decision. I, I shouldn't have sold it. I should still have it. But it was a class guitar, real huge, pointy. I don't think my fingers were even big enough at the time to play it. Speak <laughs> Thompson, he's like seven foot or something. He is. Yeah. He's a monster. So I was like stretching to play like Lamb of God stuff and like all this kind of stuff. I ended up going to a smaller guitar, like a, a shorter scaling. So I could get my fingers to play yeah. it properly and get it sharper and and that but it was a fantastic guitar um just to shape it and i i i went to in high school we had like a, a graduation mass toward the end of the, the my time there and here we were playing uh i was in the, the band playing music for or playing like imagine or some like john lennon song or something like that and he, me here on my bc rich strumming the chords to it with like hate <laughs> written on it <laughs> <laughs> So I was going to got cool. some stairs from that. <laughs> but, but yeah, I th- so so Fender gets um, Jim yeah. Root that that custom guitar or whatever, and like Ross Robinson like literally clicks it out of his hand and smashes it. It's like no, you get from oh. now on, you guys are all using like 
the same shitty equipment that you guys were using from Iowa. Like, get that shit over here. We're not using anything fancy. Like, and I do think that you you constantly need that reminder of like humbling yourself as a human and like going like, dude, you don't. All you fucking need is like that fucking human element to like make good music. You don't need fucking crazy production and like all these things. And I think that's where Ross Robinson is like, I'm gonna. I, I brought in this thousand dollar or a million dollar school bus full of record players and like we're just gonna ch-. it's like you don't need that shit like you need to just go back like when he stripped down corn and like made them all like record in a tiny little room is like fuck these mansions you guys all live in like we're all gonna like camp out in this like tiny little room and turn the ac off it's about to turn like 110 like it was in bakersfield oh, fuck that like where it's like <laughs> it's in, it's important to sometimes do that stuff where it's like yeah okay yeah this is what it was like recording in bakersfield yeah it's like yeah it ain't friendly here well you mentioned all that and that ties into like the one of the songs the heretic anthem uh probably heretic anthem heretic anthem i for whatever <laughs> reason i fucking always heretic, fuck that yeah. up i always fuck that up but it on the surface again for people who are not like you know metal heads or whatever you're gonna listen to this and think like oh my god am i worshiping satan by listening to this song and screaming the chorus and it's like mm. oh yeah on the surface it sounds like that but it's very much like a fuck you to like those people like the record industry i think Corey was talking about how uh you know a a suit in the business uh, end of the record industry was telling him like, okay, on your second album, we're going to have to make more radio friendly songs uh, because yeah, you, you sold 2 million records on your first record, uh, but we're, tr- we're going to try to get you to 4 million uh, because you got to think too, like they're walking into this, this uh, recording process still broke. Yeah. They sold 2 million records, but they're splitting that nine ways. I believe they even had like a, a shitty management deal. So they're, they're still broke as fuck. Like they're making less money than if they were all to get jobs like at McDonald's and whatnot. Mm. And, and so the money they did have, they just spent it on whatever substance they could put into their bodies. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, some businessman was just like, all right, we need to start making, you know, more radio friendly songs. Like, because, you know, we got to get you, we got, we got to get you that house in the Palisades, bro. Like we got to get, we got to get you. And then like, Corey uh, had like this. I don't know if this actually took place, but he goes, thank you very much, businessman. Uh, but if you would p- uh, politely excuse me, but you can suck all of our dicks. And he wrote this song in re- in response to it. If you're a 555, then we're a 666 because it's like we're not changing who we are to appease the masses. Mm-hmm. We're going to be who all we the are. the money in the world can't buy me. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah. very much that that element of of uh, of like fuck these like phony people that are going to be around us very very intense album a very intense song on the album one of the songs that always sticks out to me and it's not one of the big hit ones but disaster piece is always like that moment it sets (laughs) the tone like disaster piece sets the tone to the point where it's like it starts off with people equal shit and obviously people equal shit is like already not a very friendly song but it's a very catchy song yeah it's a it's a pit starter yeah it's like i could see how like it's still it's still welcoming in a weird way where it's like people equal shit. It's very welcoming. Disaster piece to me is like it's not welcoming anymore. It's like no. I'm gonna slit your throat and fuck the, the wound. wound. And it's like Stick yeah, my face in to fill the swoon. Yeah, yeah. Swoon. It's like <laughs> yeah. From that point on, is like oh, there's no coming back. This is gonna be intense. And it's just like yeah. I'm I trying think to think the, of the noises, noises, noises. People make noises. People make noises when, when they're, they're sick. sick. And it's like. <laughs> Oh my god! Like to me, it's yeah. like that's my favorite song of the album. Like I could listen to that song if I'm like ever just like in a bad mood or whatever. Like that is one of those like instant pick me up songs where it's like, God damn, that's so fucking intense. I want to point this out too. So those like, first two lines were actually, I think, for, uh, one of the worst. Sorry, 
No, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish uh, your thought. I was saying like, the first two lines were um, voted like the worst lyrics in metal at the time. <laughs> and I think when I heard them first, I was like, whoa, this, this shit's serious. I, I love this now. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're, you're all frozen. Go ahead down that path where we're talking about, um, you know, the lyrics or whatever. Sometimes the lyrics are a little bit cheesy, a little bit high schooly or whatever. But to the point, when you really get into the meaning behind the lyrics, oh shit, we lost copper. Yeah, he said we were frozen. Okay, let me jump back into it then. Oh, I think it's coming back. Yeah, I mean there 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 are moments in, in I would say the first album has a lot of moments that are very high schoolish, especially on Spit It Out, where like Corey tries to rap and does like a freestyle rap, it's like straight to the chrome with the dome, and it's like yeah. oh man, like. What what is this? Like it, it's cool. Like it's not bad. Like it never gets to the point where it's like terrible, but there are moments where like, um, you just kind of like, you know, see the cheese ball factor in it, and I I do think that sometimes when you're that intense, it can be a little bit like I'm gonna piss off my parents really quick kind of thing. Recording in progress. There you go. You back. Yeah. You back. You good. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I could see how sometimes it could be a little cheese bally. Sorry. We're back. We're all back here. Um, but at the same time, it's like it's kind of necessary when you put a fucking goat head on your album cover, and um, you know you guys are all wearing fucking demon masks. Like, what did you expect? We we, we, we ain't talking about a little holding hands. This ain't no Beatles album. Yeah. Um, I will say this though, like, and it goes back to what I was saying initially about like how. You know, it's not angry to be angry for angry's sake or whatnot. Like, it's angry coming from the heart. Kind of like what we were talking about, like, with Jonathan Davis uh, on the first album, where Corey is talking about, like, on some of these songs, like, where he wants, he's he talks about, you know, committing suicide, like, slitting his wrist 31 times, in, you know, swallowing a whole bottle of pills or whatever, and then, uh, you know, a friend finds him or whatever, and he finds his, his, uh, he saves his life basically but the song is about like yeah i did this and fuck that guy that i was now i'm starting a whole new life where i'm no longer that guy because i was fucking gonna commit suicide over a girl that didn't want me or whatever it's like fuck that guy fuck that fred durst guy basically that's who i was but this is who i am now it's very much like about like when you really look into it yeah some of the lyrics are cheesy but it's a it's it's growth it's like growth about like yeah like we've all been in that spot like where we've been outcasts or we've been you know uh, people in society that you know aren't you know the cool jock guy the kooka shell wearing motherfucker or the yeah, guy that's yeah, like yeah. with the cheerleader or whatnot or hey even that even has like a fat chubby girlfriend even like you're even more outcast than that like we've all been that guy but don't continue down like that spiral don't continue down that spiral keep bettering yourself and going better so it's in a way a lot of like these hateful fucking you know, lyrics or fucking super positive. It's it, it mm. like it's it's beautiful when you really dig yeah, deep yeah. into like what they actually mean. Yeah, wh- I'm glad you say that because you know I, for me this shit hits when I'm in high school, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I'm in high school and in high school, you know I don't care who you are, you're probably not at the highest confidence. You know you're probably very insecure, whether you like to admit it or not. Correct. And um, I think that because it hit at that time period these like super over the top angry lyrics are like really hitting. And I, obviously I said how I didn't like that. You know, it felt like the frat boy 
like party anthems that were like being sang by like other like even like a band like Disturb was popping off around this time and it was so fucking terrible to me like Disturbed and the Limp Biscuits and all that stuff was just like not didn't really feel like it was clicking with me um but I do think that it shows the growth to the point where it's like oh well my thing is like well what's the alternative like be the frat boy quarterback guy like that's not what i wanted and like you know fast forward as, as i've grown to like be an adult and being like oh wait like there's other things that like you can still be a happy person like i feel like i'm a relatively happy person now and um and growing up on this music like is does feel like a little bit of a cure to something like that like just getting all those teenage angst out of your system mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and as you as you follow slipknot's music like Corey Taylor's lyrics have evolved, you know, like you go from the first album where there's a song on there called No Life and to fast forward to like where they are now and it's like they have a song called All Out Life where it's like he's like I challenge you to live your life and it's just like it's like dude, All Out Life to me is like one of the most positive messages you can ever have in any mm. lyrics where he's like basically challenging people to like live their life to the fullest constantly. It's like this is beautiful like that you've grown as a person and we've seen the growth in you and like very beautiful. But to grow, you need these ugly moments in life, and this is definitely an ugly moment in their life. Well, you gotta acknowledge it too. Like that's the worst thing ever. Like when you can like ignore what was there, that demon that was there. Like no, you gotta. To me, you always gotta own like your flaws, and then just recognize like, yeah, that was fucked up of me, but now I've grown and you know into different territories. And even like a song like "New Abortion," which is not necessarily what, because I, I feel like the first like nine or ten songs are fucking solid as shit they're all they all yeah. got that swing like michael crane was talking about they're all groovy or whatever but then you get to like track 12 that area like 11 12 where like if they kind of sound like a static x kind of power man 5000 ish kind of thing where it's just like okay we gotta f- mm. i don't want to say filler but in a way or filler but you look at like a song like new abortion not necessarily like my favorite song but you look at like what he's talking about, like within the song, he's talking about kids that are shooting up schools. He's talking about people that, you know, go crazy, like in their isolation and place people who live like in middle America or these places all around the world where it's just like they're disconnected from like anything, you know, they're outcast or whatever. But it, like giving like that, that, that glimmer of hope within like, yeah, like it's like recognizing that pain. You always talk about it. Like whenever we talk about like anything metal, where it's just like metal isn't there to yell at you. It's there to yell with you. And I think like a song like new abortion, like even though I don't like it, it's just like, wow, like the way it's crafted and put together, it's, it's beautiful for the generation that he's talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I always thought like, you know, metal lyrics in general, very angry. And it seems like they're directed at the listener, but they're never, they're directed at the you know, annoying party, whoever it is, that's really not messing with you. And, and yeah, you're singing with them instead of like that. Mm-hmm. And they're saying you in a song. They're not, it's not you, the listener. It's you, that person that riled me up or did me wrong. And you're, you're singing with them. Then like, fuck you. All yeah. this kind of stuff. <laughs> and, yeah, and they really, you know, take use of that. And of course, I suppose we never really talk about his kind of, his rapping in a way. He kind of, you know, that the, yeah. not necessarily rapping, I guess, but it's a, yeah, quick delivery. Correct. Kind of, well, how would you describe it? It's I, almost like a jazz scat in a way. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. it does come from a hip hop angle because that's very much. It's a new metal record, you know. That's, it, that's it, kind of like the the song. The shape on this album is probably the most rappiest. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, he has that distorted voice, where like, and it's like, oh man. Yeah, 
but yeah, it's 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 very much coming from like that area. It's not Fred Durst like oh, I'm gonna try to be a rapper. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna yeah. get Method Man check on the it, track. Check it. Check, yeah. check, one, one, two. <laughs> Little biscuit in the house. Oh. It's not that, but it's very much in in line with what what's going on, like with the drums. And I think mm. that's the very important thing that, it, like, a person like Fred Durst missed, or what's another good like new metal example where they kind of just miss it, where it's just like hip hop. That's very much your relationship is like with the drum beat. He's going along with Joey Jordison. He's going along with Clown. Like on, I think Chris Finn is the other percussionist or whatever. And he's hitting yeah. like all those those things, but not trying to be a rapper, but just going that fast delivery. And it, it's in between rapping and kind of like I guess you could say jazz scatting through yeah. the through th- through the lyrics. I guess because it's not nece- he's not necessarily rapping, but he's still singing. It, it's hard to describe. It's something that. I, you'd be pressed to find another lead singer that does it that well. Yeah, yeah it's very th- unique his his style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- that's the other thing that needs to be talked about is Corey Taylor as a lead singer. You see his performance, like his stage presence, is like probably one of the best in metal I've ever seen. Like of all the lead singers, and Slipknot's not even my favorite band, but I do think that Corey Taylor brings a little bit and I don't mean this in a negative way but he brings a little bit of that WWE element of like that show persona where like between track between songs he he brings that energy where it's like oh you know even the element of like spit it out where everybody sits down on the ground and jumps back up you know Mm -hmm. for the for the bridge part of spit it out like those types of things like Corey Taylor just brings that element you know he 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 was a performer when he was in Iowa when he was very much into like the Rocky horror picture show elements of it. And he liked the drama elements and he brings that part of the part of that to the, the performance, you know, like he very much knows like how to like rile people up from, from that, that performance side of it. Um, and he does a little bit of that during the records, but definitely the live element adds a different element where like Corey Taylor is very much, you know, a, a performer, like literally, performing theater on stage in a weird way and his bandmates are too like obviously clown is like acting stupid lighting his baseball bats on stage and like at the time chris was like jerking off his like pinocchio nose and stuff like that and like that um like you know over time that um you know that's calmed down a little bit but Corey taylor's like stage present has not like he's very much that great performer on stage where it's just like god damn like this dude could start a riot just by the way he's so well-spoken on stage. Yet at the same time, it's so like, hell yeah. Like everything is like a well-spoken version of a hell yeah kind of thing. It's almost like, again, you, you mentioned like he's kind of like a WWE uh, person, like cutting a promo like when he's on stage. Uh, but he also kind of reminds me of like a an anti-televangelist in a way, like where it's just oh, like yeah. he's so charismatic and you – the Slipknot fans, they consider themselves what they're called the maggots or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's very much like he's got people in line, kind of like a Joe Olstein or, uh, you know, a, you know, a fucking John Hagee or like one of those fucking televangelists or whatever, right? Uh, all of those fans, like they hang like on every word. I remember when Slipknot first came out, like every kid that I knew in high school that was like obsessed with Slipknot, like they would quote. Corey Taylor almost like he was like a poet or some politician or a fucking pastor like a super pastor or whatever they're like you know it's like Corey Taylor said you know blah 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 
and but you look at like his life before Slipknot, you're you you, you can see why. Like he's been he's walked that that path. Like you mm-hmm. talk, I talked about like on on the song Everything Ends, like where he's talking about like his dance with suicide. Uh, you talk about there's a song on here as well, like where he's talking about like when he was homeless for a time period and, mm. you know, just like living like in that shit, but coming out of it kind of thing. It's like, it's like, yeah, no shit. These outcasts and these maggots, if you will. Um, that's why they are drawn to him because it's like, he's showing them the light at the end of the tunnel. Definitely. Didn't he also overdose twice by the time he was like 14 or 15, something like that, wasn't that right? Yeah, I think it was his uh, his ex-girlfriend's mom like rushed him to the hospital one time. Yeah. And like, yeah, he 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 definitely lived the life of like, of this like broken home, stereotypical, like <laughs> really no other way to say it, but like kind of white trashy like guy that just grew up in that. And like, um. That's more of an American thing. You guys don't have that over there. And there's no oh. such thing. There's like, what do you call small? <laughs> well, you I, have, I don't know. I saw a guy yeah, with two swastikas tattooed on his neck yesterday. <laughs> oh, wait, well, we wouldn't have that. No. <laughs> <laughs> there would be, you know, lesser well-off people that, like, say, inner city Dublin, maybe, in a way, or different places where there's gangs and just this kind of, you know, Lots of problems with drugs and stuff. So there is places like that, but maybe not to the extent that it would be in America. Not to the it, it's. I guess it, it'd it, be overdosing. It, it's kind twice. of a uniquely American thing, I think, because like, I, I think there's there's we have like white gang members here, but at the same time, like there is places like in our hometown. There's like an area of it called Oildale, and Corn have a song called Oildale. But um, it, it's it's it's. It's I don't want to say famous, but like it's infamous. well known and yeah, infamous in, in these parts for it being like a part where it's kind of you know poor white people, more of a race. Like there, there's like there's things that are just we assume about them that there's racism there. There's like meth, meth. is a big thing. Um, there's like poverty. There's like <laughs> just terrible things and we sexual abuse i was gonna say sexual abuse i was gonna say potential incest i don't know it's just like weird things. oh yeah that without saying too much yeah like it's one of the places in america where the most uh but i feel like a lot there's a lot of especially in middle america there's a lot of those towns yeah des moines iowa yeah it's a big ass fucking oil dell where it's just like you experience there's a show that was on vice where it was like this therapist uh would like all of mississippi (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, on Vice where like, you know, um, he would invite like celebrities on and like he would give them therapy and whatnot. And I thought it was stupid at first, but I watched the Corey Taylor one where he's talking about like going through that, going through addiction, going through sexual abuse and just like breaking down crying and, you know, he's, you know, giving them, you know, psychological therapy or whatever. Um, but you're like, okay, it's at, this was like a couple of years ago and it's like, okay, I get it. Why his lyrics are like this. I'm sorry. Not everything can be like that you know, like that happy fucking pop music or whatever. Right. Can't mm. all be Dua Lipa. Can't, I was watching, um, a music video the other day. Um, his name's Kane something or what? He's a country singer. He's a black. Kane Velasquez. I wish oh, it was Kane, Kane Brown. I think Kane Brown. Yes. Kane Brown. And yeah. it was some music video, like where it's basically him at his wedding or whatever. And I was like, okay, this is beautiful, but it's kind of cheesy. And you could tell like, he's just happy as shit, but it's, it doesn't hit that emotional chord for me for whatever reason just because it's like oh the cameras and the lights are on act happy kind of thing it's like it Mm. it doesn't hit a chord for me but 
an album like Iowa hits a core for me just because it's like, oh, okay, these are genuine emotions. Like it's not, I'm not just turning it on because, you know, the the, the on-air button came on in the recording studio and I have to pretend to be this angry character. No, it's like, it's therapeutic. It, it means yeah. something. And even if I never went through what Corey Taylor or any of the members went through, like I was mentioning with Sid or whatever, like I can empathize with it because it's real. It's it's super real. I mean, Kane Brown. I mean, who knows? He he might live a happy life for fifty years with that woman and whatnot, and he meant every word in that song, or whatever. But it just feels like, all right, we're gonna gloss this up for country music right. television well, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, could but, have been an actress. Yeah, exactly, because she does. <laughs> yeah. She looks perfect. You look at a band like the Beatles, and the Beatles like sing about all this lovey dubby beautiful things. I want to hold your hand, and like all we need is love, and like. Those guys couldn't stand each other. That band broke up for a reason, because like that. Yeah. Not to say that it was fake, but it was kind of fake. Like the, those, they said that, but they themselves couldn't get along. Like they couldn't keep that shit together, mm-hmm. and like that. That's the that's the thing. It's like I. It took me a while to like get into the Beatles, Beatles music, and now I hear it. And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of beautiful, but like, it's still they're you know I enjoy the Beatles. Like how can you not enjoy the Beatles? Like that's the some of the best harmonies ever. Like yeah. Paul McCartney and John Lennon are like. Pfft, perfect they're peanut butter and jelly but like there is an element to this where it's like these motherfuckers have no reason to stick together these are nine dudes they also hated each other (laughs) yeah also hated each other also like have drug abuse like the violence in their family mick and his brother were in prison for a while during the recording That's true. of I think this. His brother stabbed him in the back. Stabbed him in the head. Something. Yeah, and so they, yeah. and then they both said like we're not gonna we're not gonna take each other to jail. Just send us to prison for like two weeks or whatever. <laughs> so they spent two weeks in jail, and then they were like, "All right, we're cool. We're brothers." And like all of this was going <laughs> oh, on. Sorry. Put a pin in that real quick. <laughs> I don't know if you could relate to this or not, but Mick Thompson is like a huge Raider fan, and there's never been a more Raider fan fucking story than like Mick <laughs> and his brother getting to a fight where he stabs him in the head and then they're cool afterwards. That is such a Raider fan the, fucking They're both story. seven feet tall too. They're like monsters of Kane like, and the Undertaker <laughs> like <laughs> they're humongous. Jim Root is even taller than Mick Thompson. He's yeah. like an inch or two taller than Mick Thompson. <laughs> you wouldn't think it. Like Jim Root is the tallest. The it's funny because wow. you, you have these two giant men and then Corey Taylor in the middle this like little guy that's like five, five foot, foot five button. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. Joey Jordison's like 4'11". Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's tiny, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go stand next to these seven-foot giants. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's... Funny enough, I didn't... I don't think we said it enough that it was actually Joey Jarson and Paul Gray Great. that they were the main songwriters yeah. of mm-hmm. the whole... of all the early Slipknot stuff, anyway. Yes. Uh, like Joey Jarson, he was a guitarist himself, and he wrote a lot of guitar riffs and obviously a lot of drums, a lot of lyrics. Paul Gray probably wrote a lot of lyrics as well. Uh, so they were actually the driving force behind the early stuff. But then... You know, in the later albums, um, you know, Corey Taylor, Corey Taylor, Corey Taylor would have written lyrics as well for the first album, but or the Iowa. Uh, Metabolic became is a lot more involved. Yeah, and then Me- obviously, Metabolic is written by um by Clown. That one's not even a Corey yes, Taylor one. He was a, yeah, yeah. He's like the first founding member as well. He so he was very. It's basically the three of the three guys: Clown, um, Joey Jarson, and Paul Gray. They were the, the songwriting geniuses, I suppose you could yeah, say at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm always wouldn't re- realize that. Yeah, I'm always interested by you know Jacob kind of mentioned this, but the the first half of the album definitely has like this like you're just in a fast car and it's going 100 miles per hour and there's no slowing down for those like first few songs. 
And I think what's the song right before? Is it is it metabolic? That's right before. Um, um, no, it's uh, gently. Gently is that first gently. track yeah. where it's like it feels different. All of a sudden, it slows down. Mm-hmm. And slows it took down, yeah. it took me a long time to get into that track because it's like you're going 100 miles per hour, and all of a sudden you have to stop to like actually listen to the song, and it's like, huh. I'm I'm not feeling the song, and it took it wasn't until I heard it live. It's it's and it's on their um, mate kill mate feed kill repeat. It, yeah, it's on that one, but mm. but then they put it on their live album, the um the nine point whatever live album is. Yeah, that I heard it in that in that that version live, and I was like, dang, that's pretty sick. Like I actually really like that, and it made me want to go back to the this that one, and this is always a song I fast forward, and then I was like. I really like this song. This is pretty cool. Mm. It's good timing yeah. where it is at the album because, like you said, like yeah, everything's going a hundred miles an hour, and you kind of need a break in between to refresh mm. your palate. Yeah, respite <laughs> just to relax a bit. Yeah, yeah. it's and all this like ambient horror soundscapes as well, and it just kind of takes you over for a minute, and then then left behind kicks in after that's yeah. where you're back straight into it again. Yeah, how did, how did, yeah definitely. It's a, it's a nice rest up. Yeah, left behind was the really the only real single on this album. What did you guys think of that initial reaction to to when that song came out? Yeah, I think that was probably one of the first songs I heard of Slipknot. So I was all on board. That guitar riff, and like I even tried learning that for the first time a few weeks ago. And it's a tricky, tricky metal riff. It's It wouldn't go to places where you think it would go kind of thing. You know what I mean? Playing many other metal for many other years. But yeah, it's... I think I, I saw the video on music TV back in the We had very, very limited rock music TV in Ireland. We had one channel and and that was that on like, you know, um, cable TV that I didn't have myself. I had to go to my friend's house and watch it. So we were there watching Corn and Slipknot and all these videos and the Left Behind video came on and it was that riff came in. They're all playing out in the rain and all this kind of stuff. And I was just instantly hooked. But then I realized we were watching like the censored version of the of the video as well. There's um, the uncensored version has the boy like by a butcher knife hacking into meat. And mm. I think that's really it. That was why it was censored. Just, <laughs> you know, hacking into meat. <laughs> so like we were very sheltered here in Ireland during the, the early 2000s. A little bit. Yeah. I, I think that yeah. video actually premiered on TRL, which is weird to, to say that that video premiered on TRL for the first time ever. But there you go. That's the, that's MTV in the night. It, it's got Early like 2000s. that. It got the, to me that song just has like that just beautiful groove to it. Uh, to borrow Michael Crane's word, it's got like that swing where it's just like you can't help mm-hmm. but be drawn to it just because it's something I can mm-hmm. grab onto. It's not, you know, yeah. There's a lot of death metal and black metal influences on this album in the right spots. Like it's placed like where it needs to be, where it's not just yeah. a constant like hammering in the face kind of thing. It's like, okay, I'm going to hammer, I'm going to punch you in the face, but I'm also going to take you on this beautiful joy ride as well. And that's what this mm-hmm. song kind of reminds me of. Cause it just has like this beautiful, like just groove to it. Yeah. And it's yeah. always that guitar tone for me as well. That just like sealed the deal. Like I'm, I'm a nutcase for guitar tone, like a tone chaser, as you could say, yeah. trying to get the best metal tone I can get or whatever I'm looking for. Uh, but that left behind just the whole album, the guitars on the album were just like saturated, absolute distorted loveliness it was mm-hmm. you know it's so beefy and it just knock you over the head with the, the guitar tone it just always i instantly um was attracted to it so it just fed my young mind at the time and oh you know it would have definitely influenced a lot of me going forward as a musician 
throughout the years as well just that guitar tone even mm-hmm. and then obviously the songs but how do, how do you find that way do you look at the guitar yourself now that way on this album like i initially like i said like when i when this was a was a newer album like i was in a different mind space like i was you know chasing the you more like tech, Mamstein and yeah like that elitist like trying to like oh he can play fast he can play these many scales and whatnot so i was like in that train of thought i didn't really get out of that train of thought till like a couple years after that where it's just like oh this doesn't matter if there's no emotion behind it and re-listening to it for this like whole past week it, it there's something about the guitars where it's it's not about the technicality of it it's about what yeah. it adds to the song and yeah you know like i said it's the beginning of this episode it's a drum first album like in drumming mm-hmm. is very much a primal you know tribal thing and a lot of these songs speak to that you know tribal mindset and the guitars are not there to be the stars of the show. It's there to add to the texture of the song to yeah. where it... It's like the pillars to prop it up there. They don't take center stage. Look at me doing a frilly solo. Correct. It's just that solid rhythm that mm-hmm. pushes along with the drums and creates that overall sound. Correct. That just gives a huge foundation to Corey Taylor to go cracked on the vocals then. Correct. And just create this overall effect of just heaviness and that's the pure, genius like metal the genius of this album is that you have nine people in this band right and some they, there's two djs essentially like a sampler one and, guy does like horror sounds and screams that's his job yeah yeah um, and the, in reality you can just have DJ, one person yeah. do that like do the dj stuff and the sampling because that's basically what a dj does exactly, right yeah. coming i've been in that world where it's just like it's not that hard to like do both but like you have two guys doing that, you also have two guitar players. You have essentially three drummers, you know, and one leads. No, you have the lead singer, but then you have like maybe like four people doing backing vocals, and yeah. to somehow make all of that work. I've been in bands where there's you know an ego between the two guitar players, and that fucks up the whole band. Who's going to turn up the amp louder to hear hear, hear themselves over the mix? <laughs> yeah, or who can play faster? Who can play heavier? Yeah, yeah, yeah. all this bullshit, right? And to make all to somehow like they all hated each other they all had their own personal demons and to somehow make all of that work like forget Mm. like the music right to be able to make it work to even press the album and sell one copy to me in itself like that like makes me drawn to this album even more knowing that like everything that they had to go through it, it makes it just beautiful and then oh yeah all of the songs minus like maybe like two or three like at the end all hit like beautifully like you can play it pretty much all the way through and those two or three songs at the end are not bad at all it's just like compared to fucking you know people equal shit or the heretic anthem or you know left behind like you're comparing fucking you know fucking five out of five songs to like four out of four four out of five songs Mm -hmm. you know it's just it's a beautiful thing and my hat's yeah. off to you know Slipknot for this album and Ross Robinson. They definitely hit. I, I I I you know that that first tracks the first couple of songs that are just going 100 miles per hour. Um, you know you, you brought up um, Sid Wilson. I think Sid Wilson's like pretty genius in this band. 
Um, you know, he has his own music called DJ Starscream, and DJ Starscream music is it almost sounds like Slipknot minus like all the guitars oh, and the vocals. He's pretty good. Um, you're right. The other guy, I don't. He's he's another one of those like family members. The guy with the pins. He doesn't talk much. I actually, can't even think of his name. Do you know, right he's now. like a super like born again yeah. Christian. I think. Oh, and, is he? It's One Tree Tree or something. Yeah, he. Uh, it's a One Tree Tree. That was his code name or something for a long time. Something like that. Yeah. Maybe. But I was like looking up all the individual members where they're at now, kind of thing, and like he's like super like. He just looks like he goes to like a Mormon church or whatever, like, and he like. He, if you so the first time I ever like watched a video on him, there was just like a, um, a segment in it. Like they all got their own like little segments, and then he had the shortest one, where it's just like his face was kind of like obscured, but he didn't have a mask on. And then they were all like, "How many bodies are buried in your backyard?" And he's like, "This interview's over." And like that was it. That was the whole thing of like the whole thing that, <laughs> like that was it. And um, so yeah, he is definitely adds that mysterious element to the band, where it's just like, um just the dude in the background that's just kind of with those pins on his head. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they all, not only is it just performing the songs live, it's like they're doing all kinds of crazy shit on stage. Like, uh, I was going to call him DJ Starscream, but what is his name? Sid? Just Sid. Yeah, Sid will come out into the pit and, like, do those types of things. Like, Clown is lighting his drums on fire. Like, everybody's doing all kinds of crazy shenanigans on stage. Like, they have... Mm props on their stage like they have a moving like ramp thing or whatever like on their new stage or whatever like there's always all kinds of crazy things for them to just like find ways to get hurt basically <laughs> on stage um which is yeah. kind of cool and like that's part of the the performance too i i dig that element that they're going they're going that deep into it but um um definitely like tip of the hat to everything slipknot like although i wasn't crazy about mm. their last album i wasn't really feeling that album um I, I still really think that they're they're one of those like heavy bands like throw it's like I'm proud that they they carry the flag for like heavy music and now you can buy their t-shirts at Target and that's usually a telltale <laughs> sign that's like oh man yeah. like they're not the same anymore but they're still like yeah. a very good live band I'm glad that they kind of represent like metal now like they're kind yeah. of the face of metal mm-hmm. the post- poster boys of metal even though they're probably only like an album or two away from <laughs> calling it quits but yeah. I, I like. I like that they are that band now that they're like they're the ACDC of their generation pretty much. Like that's they're they're the like where you put like where metal's at at you know a certain point. You talk about yeah. the beginnings of metal, it's Black Sabbath. The next wave is like Iron Maiden, Judas Priest. Next wave Metallica. Next wave Pantera. Next wave Corn and then from there pretty much it's been Slipknot ever since, you know. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen their live um, DVD uh, Disaster Pieces yeah the actual live show itself yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah that's probably like my most viewed gig as a kid growing up just watching that again and again and you see Sid going out into the, the audience and then someone's like pulling on his boiler suit and he's like punching him <laughs> like, fuck off and then when it gets to Joey Jordison's drum solo the whole platform he's like strapped into a racing chair and the platform rises up um, and then it starts spinning around and then he goes like a complete like 90 degrees forward and the, the lights go out and it, like a uh, big pentagram lights up on the yeah. on the platform under his feet and he, then he starts spinning around and around and around and he's, and still he's just going yeah. nuts like double kick you know blast beat and all he's just absolute legendary I think that was one of the best I suppose gigs captured of them because it was just after Iowa as well so they were, they were I still had that you know one thing that primed the hatred and the 
energy. One thing I, I, I wanted to talk about, because it was a big moment for me when, when I was in high school when this happened, but that tour that they went out, their initial tour, I believe it was the initial tour, like 9-11 happens like, yeah. like a week later. And then, yes, yeah, yeah. and then at least here in America, like it changed the landscape. Like, you know, like all of a sudden, like, <laughs> like everything had to be happy. Like everything was pop radio. Like, uh, you know, that's, I think that's why like butt rock and like the, the jock rap, like, or the rock jock metal, whatever started getting really popular here. Um, and like, you know, Slipknot kind of went to the back burner, but that tour that followed was the Pledge of Allegiance tour. And I remember seeing a video for that, like here are the bands that are going to be in the Pledge of Allegiance tour. And I remember thinking like, holy shit, there's nothing heavier than I can think of. Slipknot was the headliner, then Rammstein, System of a Down. Um, and I think that was, I think, I want to say Mudbane and and this band called No One. And No One is like this, like they only had one album, but it was like a fucking brutal ass heavy, like new metal-ish album. But like to me, that was like, fuck like are you telling me or I, I don't know if i don't know if mudbane was on it but definitely rhymestein system of a down and slipknot and to me that was like the three heaviest bands i could think of at the time and i was like holy shit and all like, of them had like classic albums that came out like toxicity fucking mutter by fucking rhymestein yeah. that's to me like that's the best mm-hmm. rhymestein album and it's just like whoa like that's that's that would have whoever has seen that show live like i'm jealous of them i, I am super jealous of that especially because that's a that no one album is kind of a hard album to find now. Even I think I only found it on YouTube now. Like there's like a rip on YouTube now, and it's not the greatest thing. It's not like you know I'm not gonna compare it to this the Iowa album, but it's still like to be on that tour. Like it was a good album, and like you're right, every one of those bands was like hitting their stride right there, and I was like fuck, like I wish I could have gone to that tour. Like I know. It's so amazing, but I was like 14. <laughs> yeah, I think I was a sophomore in high school. I think. <laughs> I can and you know, going back to saying that it was released before um, 9-11. 9-11 and apparently that did affect the sales of the album. It didn't actually sell all that well. No. Considering how iconic an album it is now at the time, it just didn't really sell because metal was, I suppose people didn't want to hear it at the time after what happened. And Yeah. Well, it got thing. banned so was, here in America. And then Jacob didn't buy it either, so that didn't help. <laughs> 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 That's always the precipice right there. Did Jacob buy it? No, fuck it then. Um, <laughs> No, yeah, and then another album that came out the following week um, or two weeks, uh, "God Hates Us All" by Slayer was actually released on September 11th as well. And right, I mean, that's yeah. a killer album as well. But I, there's definitely, like you were saying, it was just like those albums went to the back burner. It's like, no, this it's it, the the pain's too real right now to you know delve into anything heavy. This is like we need some Taylor Swift to 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 caress our heads to sleep kind yeah of that's thing. what i mean like everything <laughs> went super popular like it was like oh let's just make rolling the, the biggest song out right now <laughs> it was everything was just whack like everything like kane brown wh- here. whatever and and then you know we talked about like how like 2009 like it took america like 10 years to like get back to the point where it's like no let's make some fucking brutal ass angry music again because for a while like you look at hip-hop like everything went like that chopped and screwed or whatever. I think it was like Little Wayne and like everything was just like glossy, like bad hip hop music and like bad rock music here. Emo kind of took over at that point. Like emo was like the big thing. Like, and there were some like gems in there, like My Chemical Romance. Uh, speaking of great album covers, there are Three Cheers for Sweet Romance album covers, a pretty iconic one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, for the most part, like nothing, nothing super aggressive was happening here in, in the United States. Like, because we were all under that whole like like let's just 
I would I would imagine that was about as close as we'll live to um the Cold War where like nobody wants to be viewed as a terrorist or whatever. Like everybody yeah. was like wearing their these colors don't run <laughs> kind of shirts and like well i mean you got to think about it like if you got like in a very horrible car accident you saw a bunch of carnage and death and shit like that and then like somebody was like hey do you want to go see this horror this bloody gory horror movie tonight you'd be like nah i think i'm gonna stay in and watch survivor like i think it's it's that was that attitude at that yeah point. i mean yeah i i guess uh, i mean yeah i mean America was dealing with what other countries around the world were dealing with, and America finally got a taste of it. And yeah. America, you know, America was reaping w- the seeds that they had planted in the 70s. Yeah, you're right. So, I mean, I yeah. hate to say it, but not to get all political, but the United States fucking mm. sucks sometimes. That's actually how I suppose <laughs> a lot of people outside America see it. It's like, oh, they kind of got their comeuppance yeah. in a way. You know what I mean? That's just the kind of. Because. Yeah, Obviously, there's foreign policy, very uh, ingrained in a lot of countries and, you know, different coups and getting leaders taken out and changed and all this kind of stuff. So, like, a lot of non-Americans have seen that for many years and say, you know, and you saw the 9-11, it's like, not really surprised. Obviously, it's a terrible thing, but when you see it, it's like, this was bound to happen someday, you know, to America at some point. With what's going on in Afghanistan right now, I I guarantee you in the next, like, 10, 15 years, we're probably going to have another, like, 9-11. Because, like, those people over there right now really don't like America, and you can't really Mm. blame them because we did them so wrong for the last, like, 20 20 years. There's people that have only known America as, like, their, you know... I I guess all we're hoping is that... What's that one... One syndrome where you fall in love with your captor. Oh, fucking Stockholm, Stockholm syndrome. I guess America's just hoping that there's some Stockholm syndrome there. It's like, <laughs> please don't hurt us down the line. Here is mm. the story of Harley Quinn. Go yeah. in peace. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but, um, yeah, with, uh, but getting back just to say about Corey Taylor, just for um, like Corey Taylor's vocal production in the studio is it's next level. Like, just uh, say videos on YouTube where you can go in and you can kind of they break down. Say duality is ex- is example. Obviously, that's on volume three, but you know, on the the verses of duality, he's like he kind of speaking mm-hmm. quickly, but he's really kind of relaxed. And he's just like, but then he's he's actually layering like three other levels of different vocals. One more more active and agitated, and then another one kind of uh, singing it more cleanly, and then it kind of blends all together. But you wouldn't even know it as the casual listener at the end. It just sounds like one voice going, mm-hmm. and it kind of really creates a. Um, a unique voice that he has. And then when he gets to the chorus, there's like four different layers. There's one singing it cleanly, one singing it screaming it, and there's yeah. you know different different layers to it. Have you watched you him talk about, record you it? Him. Uh, yeah, well, you see, it's just about to go to talk about that, like that last song, Iowa, mm-hmm. on the album. It's not the best song on it. It's very long. It's like 15 minutes long, mm-hmm. and it's very. It's like gently in a way. It's kind of um, slower, atmospheric, and long and slow and drawn out kind of thing, but. Apparently, they've only ever played it twice, and that was in the studio. And Corey Taylor, for singing of this, he actually stripped naked and he started cutting himself. Mm-hmm. And he was like probably drinking a bottle of Jack, downing it. And he was, you know, in absolute anguish and horror state, recording this, trying to get the best performance. Yeah. Um. So that's that's the lengths that they go to. Yeah. Or they they went to anyway to get this the sound. 
he was even like forcing himself to throw up like at one point too, just yeah. to like get like that like that emotion or whatever. And I was like, holy fuck! Like when me and you were uh, DMing back and forth about, it, I was like, I didn't. I was just prepared to talk about like how cool these songs are, and like when you really <laughs> get into like how it was recorded and what you know, like you said, like with Corey, what he went through to get the the vocal performances that he needed it's super intense like i you'd be hard pressed oh, yeah, to find a, another act that that was uh going to these lengths Karn, i suppose john davis and he did a similar kind of thing but mm-hmm. yeah there were with Ro- very few of those kind of bands that would do that i mean that that's ross robinson in a nutshell i i, I believe mm-hmm. it was with the with the broken candle like a like a belladora that you have over here with like it was like here's a broken candle. Why don't you cut yourself while recording this song just to get yeah. just to get a little more emotion out of you, man? Yeah. And it's like maybe you shouldn't be encouraging these things. <laughs> Jonathan Davis <laughs> talked about how he had to see therapy after recording the last album with him with the the Remember Who You Are album, yeah. which is not even Corn's like biggest album with him, but it's like he had to go see therapy because he took him to those places again that were just very dark and like I'm like, damn, that's fucking intense. One th- one last thing I do want to bring up, and you brought up, um, I I mean, there's always going to be that duality between these two albums of going from this level of intensity in Iowa, and then point three going a little bit calmer, and there's acoustic tracks, and like it's a little more like Stone Sour, yeah, Stone Sourish, yeah. yeah there's like those elements of Stone Sour in it, but one thing that I think stands out is Corey Taylor changed his vocal delivery. He went from doing that like kind of like like deeper growl level to like a more high pitched scream. Um, did, did that ever bother you guys that he went to that level? A little bit because, like I said, I came in on the back end of all of this, and so I already had like a, uh, I I knew about Stone Sour and I hate Stone Sour's music, uh-huh. and it reminded me of that, and so I think that kind of killed uh, Slipknot for me a little bit after that. Even though I do like Volume mm. Three, yeah, I was like I. Iowa, this is the magnus opus for me. This is like this is perfection for me for this yeah. band. Hmm. Well, the thing is with the screaming, like when he, it's it's the same with a lot of metal screamers, especially in early careers. Like say Matt Heafy from Trivium and these kind of guys in the early careers, they are yelling, they are top of their lungs, belting it out with anger, and that doesn't last very long. You start getting nodules on your throat, and you you, know, you sound like this at the end of a gig, like yeah, Steve-o. and you be. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Exactly, yeah. So they basically have to relearn how to scream properly. And it's kind of like in the back of your throat. And you're not using all your vocal cords, absolutely ripping them to shreds the whole time. You're doing it in a more controlled way. So it does obviously change the sound of the scream. So in the earlier stuff, you would sound more just pure anger. Mm-hmm. Um, like, say, you know, Mahifi, when you listen back to the early stuff, and he's just absolutely screaming his head off. But more recent stuff is a lot more controlled and stuff. So, if he had it kept up, if Corey had it kept up that screaming, he wouldn't be singing today. Basically, yeah, you know, it would have absolutely ripped him to shreds years ago. I mean, even people but like s- James Hetfield, um, he yeah. was never like a screamer, but he was like, yeah, no, yeah, like all that shit. Like, oh yeah, that yeah. fucked his voice to where even like you listen to Metallica when they play those songs live. Uh, they either have to do it, drop the tone a half step, or drop it completely yeah. a full step to D, where so that way, like he's able to like, okay, I don't have to like go up that high of an octave anymore, just because to accommodate my 
58 year old voice now, you know, so I can still make the song sound good, but I'm not sounding like hit the lights. Like it's just like hit the lights. Like it's like, okay, I'm going to go on this octave now because of your voice. It it just takes a toll. Yeah. 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 And just to say, you mentioned Stone Sour as well. Like actually the Stone Sour was the band Corey and Jim were in before Slipknot. I think I'm not sure if Jim was in it originally, but then obviously I kind of went away for a while and Slipknot came out and then, as a result of everyone hating them, each other during Iowa, Corey and Jim went off and said, look, these guys, you know, we can't get our say in this band as much and everyone hates each other. Let's just go off and start up again, Stone Sour, yeah. and get that going. And I have to say, I love that first album. I know you said you didn't like it, but I loved that first album because it was kind of, it was kind of slipped out light in a way, but it was his own style. But then their later albums were kind of Stone Sour light, 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 light. Yeah. It kind of just kind of went off, <laughs> and then kind of went. To I don't the, know if you have you heard any Corey's recent stuff. His um, CMF, CMFT, Corey Motherfucking Taylor. I, I, uh, have you heard that? Song? I send it to Jacob every once in a while, where it's like Southern Rocky Kid Rock type of things, where yeah. he like Kinda. he's like rapping, and a rapper in it as well. He's like yeah. rapping yeah. like a Southern rapper. I not for me. It's not uh, particularly fantastic. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> and in the video, he has all these like superstars he probably has like Lars Ulrich and all these guys coming in just doing a video of themselves singing ain't no thing but a motherfucking thing or something something stupid lyric anyway the whole song is based on but yeah, it's kind of gone weird but he, ha- he does have some some good stuff on that album just you know not is that the not to the quality of Iowa is the first uh, is the first Stone Sour album the one with 5150 where it starts off with 5150 um I'm not sure. The first one was the white cover with the window pane, and it had like butter and huh. um, let me see, fifty one fifty. I I do like that Stone Sour song, fifty one fifty. I thought that was a pretty sick song. But yeah, I mean, to, I I think that um, one of their most like pure metal songs happens in in volume three where they do uh, three nail, three nail to me is like that first thing where I was like, dude, this is this is really good. This is like about as close as I'm ever gonna get to like enjoying like traditional like metal where it's like i think there's even a guitar solo in there at one point mm-hmm. and they do a bunch of like blast beats and i'm like this is this is pretty enjoyable i i really yeah. i really enjoy it and yeah he does sing in that higher octave but i was just i was i was okay with it it didn't bother me it it, it didn't really bother me till uh, other people started pointing out that he no longer sang in that like like super low like aggressive vocals and i was like yeah i guess you're right they're two di- it almost sounds like two mm-hmm. different guys sometimes just a fact check that Stone Sour thing, 30, 30, 150, 30, that was 30, the first song on yeah. their second album, oh. Come Over May. Yeah. So that that was a decent album as well. Then they kind of, yeah, the albums after that, I never really paid attention to yeah. them. So. <laughs> I tried not to. And actually, I went to see Stone Sour one time live. They were supporting Metallica as well. A few years later, after the time I saw them, uh, Slipknot supporting them. And there was this, they were playing like the second stage of this, music festival in Ireland and the music festival in Ireland is a small affair compared to what you have over there um, so there was like a small circus tent was the second stage and um, we left the main stage to come over and see so and uh, but by the time we got there you were standing at the door and it was just chock-a-block full of people from the door to the stage and it was a tiny little circus tent but whenever the music started going I was standing beside my friend when the music started going the circle mosh pit started opening up so we somehow managed to kind of elbow our way into the mosh pit <laughs> and so then we were taken around with the circle pretty up, much up in front of Jim Root and Corey Taylor were standing right in front of them looking at them That's awesome. as, as they were, you know, playing. And then obviously the circle 
circle came back around so we had to get back out again we we're kind of just <laughs> gone with the flow of the, of the people and just kind of shot back out but it was intense there's nothing like that yeah it's a beautiful ever experience since damn that's not, I, I i've seen him a few times i've seen him open up for corn and i've seen him open up for deftones and they're 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 a decent live act they're no slipknot but they're they're all right live i, I wouldn't yeah, yeah, mind yeah. them uh and i saw them cover no, a johnny cash so. song once they were we didn't even see them because we were going to go see Mastodon. It was that uh, Aftershock. We just saw that they were there and we're like, oh, Stone Sour. Let's go get some burritos really quick. <laughs> <laughs> but they were they were already like six albums in or whatever. I was like not feeling – I was like, I'd rather see Mastodon kind of thing. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, Mastodon. That's like the, new, the newer stuff is more kind of radio-friendly rock, the, the newer Stone Sour they stuff. They became a 555 five, five at that edge. point. 555, <laughs> five, five, yeah. <laughs> So uh, to kind of wrap this whole uh, episode up, um, what would you say your favorite song or songs are from this album? I'll start with you, Cup. I think mine is actually I Am Hated. Okay. That song. Because it's probably not one of the standout songs. Probably not, you know, it's probably a deep cut from the, you know, for a lot of people would, uh, would say. But I just remember when I was a kid going on the school bus listening to the, uh, you know, had my headphones on listening to that. And I've heard the album, you know, hundreds of times at this stage. But then, for some reason, one morning, that song, I Am Hated, just struck me in a way. And I put that song on repeat about 10, 15 times wow. while I was walking to school. And I just absolutely, like, that was like, I never did that a song before or since. Just put a song on absolute repeat for, like, 10, 15 times in a row. And it just absolutely ingrained itself into my head. And absolutely, it's probably one of my favorite songs off the whole, the whole album. And it wouldn't be a, a regular choice, I, I would guess, but... What would you think yourself? What about you, Art? Um, I would probably go with Disaster Pieces, um, just because that one, like I said, I think it's it's very unwelcoming. I like that it's 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 almost a standalone track, um, and it's it's one of those songs that I could just put that song on by itself and just be like, dude, this this is brutal as fuck. There's only like a handful of tracks that I. I I can almost like not listen to the whole album and just play that one track. That's one of them. Maybe like a Gojira, The Art of Dying is up there with that one. But um, mm. but definitely that song is just, it's so brutal. It's so unwelcoming. It's so like not what, you know, lyrics that you would ever want your parents to listen to kind of thing. You know, it's because it's yeah. that, because it's not, you know, something that's ever going to get played on radio and it's not something, but, but it seems to... The minute that gets played live, you just know like shit's about to get ugly, kind of thing. Like, you know, it's this one. It almost feels like this one, si- similar to like I am hated. Like this is like this is one for the fans, kind of thing. And I I really like that that one. Plus, they're they're uh they have that DVD called Disaster Pieces, and I was like, fuck yeah, like that. It was well done. Yeah, I perfect name for a a concert DVD. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for me, I'm gonna be basic here. Um. People equal shit. I love how that song starts at that eight, seven, six, 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 five, four, three, two, four. I love that. And then I mean, it's just catchy as shit. It's 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 a the the that's the that's the heretic heretic anthem. Oh yeah, my bad. Yeah yeah, heretic anthem. Yeah. I was oh, gonna say the other one sounds yeah, like yeah. 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 I was like, yeah. Here we go again, motherfucker. Yeah. That's the sort of yeah. But both of them, those are my top, 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 top choices. Yeah. And then I just, I just love those. Like you were saying, like standalone songs. Like you, you. I was listening to this at the gym all this week, and it's just like, fuck yeah! I have not had a better workout listening to this. And then Heretic Anthem, like to me, like 
uh, we mentioned that you know this came out like in uh 2001 you know two weeks before 9-11 slayer puts out god hates us all on 9-11 and at this time it's just like the heretic anthem like that's what slayer should have sounded like in 2001 if slayer was a new band like they did slayer better than slayer even like that that drum uh, breakdown that Joey does that's from angel of death like that whole like to the T like he he's giving nod to fucking Dave Lombardo at that point I was just like I thought that was beautiful but it's still their own song it's not like they're like ripping them off at all and then to kind of get it from left field the actual title track Iowa like like you were saying um with I am hated where it's just like there's something about it that just clicks in my mind where it's just like I love how fucking slow that song like it just builds up into like this big like you know climax of a song um with iowa and i kind of like it gets like that cinematic visual in your head like i can picture nine sick fucked up individuals sitting around a campfire in the middle of butt fuck nowhere iowa just like talking about like all the most brutal things possibly discussing like a murder or something like that and it's just like i love that like it takes you out of like like, yeah, people equal shit and, you know, disaster peace and my plague. All these are like great fucking, you know, mosh pit anthems and whatnot. But a song like Iowa, it puts you like in it puts you in Des Moines, Iowa. Like you can picture yeah. like all these like white trash motherfuckers. It's scary. It does what you were talking about. Like when we were talking with Michael Crane, it does like it, it moves you a certain way. And I love that. It's like almost watching like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something like that. And I dig mm. the fuck out of that song, even though it's 15 fucking minutes long. Yeah, that's one of those things that <laughs> I like how I like how cinematic it feels sometimes. Uh, it's just always been a hard song for me to get into. But uh, but I do like how like cinematic and big it is. But it. <laughs> For some reason, that's always one of those closing tracks that I'm just like, eh, all right. Put on some Taylor Swift. Yeah, I'm going to skip this one. All right. So with all of this said, guys, uh, Copper, thank you for once again coming on. Let's do this again. Uh, I'll plug yeah. in the Ethernet cord so we don't lose Internet connection next time. Um, but Art. <laughs> was that your end? I thought it was me. <laughs> might have, I, I'm, I'm going to blame myself here. I don't know. I'm going to blame myself. I'm going to own that shit, like I said earlier. Um, but, uh, guys, do you guys have anything else to say before we close out this, uh, this episode? If you haven't heard this album, go listen to it. That's, it's great. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And it's influenced my country music to no end. (laughs) (laughs) Which I got to give you a shout out. You want to go ahead and plug that for us, Avery? Ah, yeah. So we've been talking with Slipknot Metal, but I actually put out country music and, and, and this kind of stuff. So it's uh, yeah, country rock kind of stuff, yeah. maybe, if you like that kind it's of more thing. In the but, uh, yeah, it's, co- copper it's more in the Johnny Cash like fucking vein. Yeah, outlaw country. So, yeah, yeah, it's not th- that's what I like. Yeah. And no offense to any Kane Brown fans, <laughs> but it's not that Kane Brown stuff. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, I think since I was talking to you last, I started two more podcasts. Uh, <laughs> I'm a busy boy. Hell yeah. But I have, uh, you know, Keenan Flannery, one of your patrons from Dublin. Me and Keenan have uh, the Art Saddle podcast where we talk about music news, kind of music industry kind of things. And we tell dad jokes and just have the crack <laughs> and we curse and swear the whole time. And it's just two lads talking shite for an hour or whatever it is. So it's, it's great crack. Um, but I'm actually just about to launch a new podcast called Copper's Corner Podcast. And it's a music history podcast about... Uh, I'll have a guest on. They'll talk about their favorite musician and we kind of go through the biography of them. So the first episode is like about Tammy Wynette. Mm. Second episode is Neil Young. Third episode is Hank Williams. Oh, nice. So we have a, a big 
choice. And you might get someone on to talk about Slipknot or whoever. I'm sure if you want to come on, lads, you talk about whoever you want to talk let's about. Let's do Corn. I'll have yeah, you on, no problem. Corn would be a fun Korn. one. Corn. Yeah. Kind of yeah, boys. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I think that would be only proper. At first, I was like, well, I want to do Metallica, but it's just like, now you don't want to hear my, me say like a million times or you know what I'm saying a million times. <laughs> like fucking <Take> Brett. <laughs> I take a shot every time uh, Brett from Soaking says, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think we can nail corn pretty good. But um, thank you for once again coming on. Check out Copper on all of his Wait, podcasts. I said Brent. I meant Brad. Yeah, Brad says it. Sorry. Shout out to Brent. That motherfucker just got COVID. So, uh, oh, man. Him and Dave, I think. He did, yeah. Yeah, so shout out to them. May I know we were talking about some fucking uh, satanic shit throughout this whole episode, but yeah, light a light a Jesus candle, do what you got to do, fucking pray for that dude, man. Don't let him say a prayer. Don't don't let the Delta ca- capture that guy. That guy is in my podcast. Say hero. a little prayer for me. He's a treasure. Um, yeah, I didn't know that. Dang, that sucks. Shout out to Sofa King, guys. Listen to Sofa King if you're not a Patreon. To Sofa King, be a Patreon to us <laughs> and then to them. Um, yeah, that's how I found you guys. I was listening to Sofa King for years, and I think they mentioned you a few times on the <coughs> podcast. I said, "Oh, let's check out these Art and Jacob guys." And you know, here I am. Here you go. A few years later, <laughs> I'm always surprised when I see people that are like, I'll, "I'll," they'll like say something on the on the on the Facebook thing, and I'll like click on them, like, "Who is this person?" And then they're like big Sofa King fans. So like, we, I, I love the fact that there's some bleed over and like, mm-hmm. pretty fun. Oh, yeah, definitely. God bless. Uh, so with all of that said, guys, make sure you just follow us on all the social medias at Arn Jacob Do America, except for Twitter. We are at Arn Jacob Do A1. Uh, check out some of our merch at tpublic.com. Uh, we got four designs up there. And like I always say, it's not so much to fucking put money in our pockets, but to spread the good word of the Art and Jacob Do America podcast. So if you're at a Slipknot concert or a, a fucking Nickelback concert or a fucking Stone Sour concert or whatever, and somebody sees a T-shirt that says Art and Jacob Do America, we do have a metal T-shirt designed by uh, uh, Nicole Smith-Bosch. So you can wear that to whatever show you're at and whatever. But it gets the good word out. You know, as well as it puts 25 cents into our pocket. <laughs> and if you want to put more money into our pocket, like Copper Kelly or Keenan Flannery over here or Axel or any uh, any of our other badass Patreons, uh, go on to patreon.com slash America, where every single week you will get a bonus episode uh, that we put out. Nine times out of ten, those episodes are more fire than the actual episode episode. And this week is no exception. I can, att- I can attest to that. It's uh, your Patreons are like next level. I love Thank them. you so much <laughs> for confirming that. Yes, uh, I tell yes. a pretty interesting uh, gangster story about uh, how I hired a gang member uh, to re-requisition a CD that I let somebody borrow that never returned. Um, I'll probably add some more stuff at the end because I think that was Iowa. Was a that's. That's where the CD Yeah, went. that's where it went. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I'll probably add a little bit more on this week because I think that one was only 20 minutes or so. But check that out. If you like listening to us for an hour, if you want to hear an extra hour every week, go over there. Donate $1. That's all we ask uh, to keep the ball rolling on this show. Uh, go there. Um, and if you like our show, like we were mentioning earlier, go ahead and check us out on our network at the Podbelly Network. Uh, where they have an array of uh, family members that also do podcasts, like we were talking about with the great and powerful Sofa King podcast. Uh, Check out everything that they do, as well as if you're into these music episodes, you'll probably love my homeboy Eddie, his podcast, the RRBG podcast. He's pretty much had everybody under the sun on his show. I don't know how he keeps doing it, but he's fucking lighting fucking Santeria candles. He's getting people on. He's doing the damn thing. So go go over there, check him out. Uh, But other than that, guys... That's it. That's it. Tell your mommy boo boo too. Shout out to Jackman. Shout out to Boring. That's it.
invested everybody so copper shout out copper Kelly. yeah check out all the beautiful things he's doing over Seven there guys so with that said everybody have a good night good night